We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio Network. I'm your host, Walker Wildman. Glad to be with you today on the network. Our website is AFR.net, AFR.net. Our app is free, it's available, and there's no gimmicks, no tricks. The app, the American Family Radio app, is free. Takes you a couple minutes to download, and you can get my podcast, AFA at the Core, there on the app. We have apps on multiple platforms, multiple devices, Apple, Android, Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Alexa, and the list goes on. So a lot of different ways for you to keep up with the show, AFA at the Core. And so download our app wherever you uh, like to utilize app applications. Uh, And you can, of course, always subscribe to our podcast on your native device, wherever you listen to podcasts. Our scripture for the week, before we jump into the news of the day, which is a very busy news cycle the last 48 hours, uh, we're going to continue our study in Proverbs, our our memory verses in Proverbs, and this week we're going to move down two verses uh, to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, a lot of nuggets of wisdom here in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. That's Proverbs 3, verse 3 and 4. That's our scripture for the week here on AFA at the Core. And the name of the show here, for those of you who may be new to the show, uh, AFA at the Core, our goal here is to focus on the core values of American Family Association. And many of you know this, some of you don't, but the... uh, The parent ministry of American Family Radio, which is the radio network you're listening to, the parent ministry is American Family Association, and uh, we have a set of, we have a mission, a vision, and a set of core values, of six core values that guide our work here. I'll list, go ahead and list six of them. I might as well if I start listing them. Uh, Evangelism and discipleship. AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. Uh, Another one of our core values is marriage and family. Morality, and that's biblical morality. Um, Sanctity of human life. All men and women are created in the image of God. Uh, Stewardship. um, And lastly, religious liberty. So that's our core values here at American Family Association. That's what drives our work. And, of course, our vision is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training. And so that's what we're doing here at AFA. We're not only covering the news of the day, bringing you news from a Christian perspective, but we're also producing resources, both video and uh, reading materials, study materials that help you build your biblical worldview so that we can be salt and light in our culture. Our American Family News team got a brand new website last week. AFN.net is their new URL. The American Family News team has a brand new website and a brand new mobile app. So if you want Christian news from a Christian perspective, uh, go to American Family News. AFN.net is their new URL. 
Jumping right into uh, something that we care deeply about here at American Family Association, and that is discipleship. Discipleship, uh, disciple-making, that is one of our uh, core values here at American Family Association. Well, I came across this uh, very encouraging or challenging at the same time article by Dr. David Jeremiah, which you can also hear on the network. You can hear here on the network, American Family Radio, uh, Dr. David Jeremiah's show. Uh, But he had an op-ed in the Christian Post that I came across that was talking about how uh, the headline, the title of his article is, The Great Commission Begins at Your Doorstep. And he goes into a lengthy um, conversation or article about uh, creating disciples and the Great Commission, but where he ends is talking about how discipleship begins in our homes. And I think that's so important to remember. So I'll just read the last two paragraphs of Dr. David Jeremiah's article here. Once we grasp the idea that our global mission begins with our home and family, it's not just a, it's just a short step out of the front door to think about our neighborhood and community. We might not be able to travel halfway around the world to impact another nation for Christ, but we can certainly impact our own community. Yes, the Great Commission is a global task, but it begins at home, in our own household, our neighborhood, and our community. In other words, lifestyle evangelism, a lifestyle of revealing Christ in us, can become a beacon of hope for those in in our corner of the very large world. And so the reason I bring that up today is because it's so easy to get swept up in uh, how large the world is, and well, and 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 say to yourself, well, am I really making an impact where I am? Uh, I'm not. Uh, I don't have a television show. I don't have a, a megaphone. I'm not a pastor of a mega church. So what can I do? Um, can I do anything? And the answer is yes. Um, look at at the people that Jesus used in the early in the early church development. Um, he used fellowship and discipleship between just a handful of guys, handful of people, um, to help build the uh, church, and it ended up expanding and the gospel spread throughout the world. Um, but we need to not get so distracted at uh, the 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 news of the day, get so distracted at uh, temptations of the world, get so distracted at at. Well, I don't, I don't have an impact. I'm not making an impact. Because if we do that, then we're really not going to have an impact because we're going to be sitting in our self-pity, and we're going to be having a pity party. Meanwhile, guess who's at work? Satan's at work. Satan's always at work. He doesn't rest. He doesn't sleep. And so we need to make sure that we're using our time and our resources that God has given us, big or small, to his kingdom, to the advantage of his kingdom. And so David Jeremiah here challenges us that discipleship starts in the home. Discipleship starts in the home. Some people think that you've got to fly over to India, that you've got to go to Africa, that you've got to go to Central America in order to witness, in order to make disciples, and that is a falsehood. That is not true. Is that, is that acceptable? Is that good? Sure, absolutely. Make disciples of all nations. But we can't neglect our home. We have to make disciples in our home. We have to focus our energy on making disciples in the home because that's where you're most likely to succeed when you look at the time spent 
uh, with your family and with your children, uh, it, it leans in your favor as a parent, as a father, as a mother. Uh, the time leans in your favor, meaning you're, you got all this time with your kids. You need to take advantage of it, Bobby. Yeah, amen. It's uh, it's something that uh, that uh, Abe, uh, who I'm uh, reflecting on here, is he's also my pastor, and uh, he speaks of that uh, every night uh, in his show and uh, at the start of most of his sermons. Uh, it's not up to the church to disciple uh, its its congregation, its body of Christ. It's up to um, it's up to the families. It's up to parental units, if you will, and their guidance uh, from a spiritual, biblical standpoint. That's where discipleship really begins. That's that's exactly right. And your fellowship with local believers that just expounds upon what is already or what should already be happening in in your household. So, good word there, Bobby. Um, jumping right into the news, you know, uh, uh, I got asked multiple times this morning, are you going to talk about Afghanistan? Well, who, who can't talk about Afghanistan today? I mean, this is, and I'll say that a little bit sarcastically, but this is a disaster. This is the disaster what's going on over there, but it's a disaster in a way that you're not going to hear very often. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. This, um, this is a is an embarrassment for all the people, all the politicians and the talking heads and the um, military leaders in some instances uh, that have lobbied, have petitioned for nation building, for nation building, for uh, exporting American military power, American tax dollars, mine and your tax dollars. To foreign countries way far off across oceans um, to go over there and, and train police forces and train military uh, members for these uh, countries in the hopes that they're going to turn out to be like America 2.0, that they're going to turn out to be these oases of freedom <laughs> in lands that have never accepted freedom, freedom as Americans know it at least, and what is what is I'm afraid is going to happen is we're going to get through this 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 too shall pass what's going on in Afghanistan and we'll, we'll get through this and not one person that lobbied for the forever wars that lobbied for nation building in the Middle East not one of them will will own up to the fact that they got it completely wrong and it really, that's what's missing from much of our political life, much of our um, leaders, is the ability to say to the public that, hey, I got it wrong. I had a bad view of that situation. I had a wrong view of that situation. We're not going to get that. The leaders, they're going to duck and they're going to dodge and they're going to blame it on their predecessor. This is what they do. It's all about political power and staying in office. It's not about recognizing the cold, hard truth. And the Biden administration, to, to and let me just say this before I go any farther, and we're going to talk about this in the next segment. We need to, I know many people want to bash on Biden 
today, right? Because that's the easy thing to do. Let's just blame Biden. But th- that's, yes, is, Biden, is, is President Biden, our commander-in-chief, is he in charge right now during the disaster of Afghanistan? Yes, he is. Is he to blame at least partly? Sure, absolutely. But many conservatives have lobbied to get out of Afghanistan for years. And so for for those people, which I'm seeing them now on TV, saying that we shouldn't have gotten out of Afghanistan, well, no, when Trump was in office, everyone was cheering on Trump getting out out of Afghanistan, at least conservatives. And so we don't need to start flip-flopping around like the Democrats do. Now that the Democrats in office and they're leaving Afghanistan and it's a disaster, this disaster that is now Afghanistan, it was going to be a disaster no matter who's in the White House. Meaning the Taliban, they were going to take back control of Afghanistan at all costs. Whether it was Trump in office, Biden in office, Obama in office, it was just a matter of time. The only way to avoid what we're seeing now is to stay in Afghanistan until Jesus comes back. And I mean that quite literally. The only way to avoid what we've seen uh, this past weekend is to leave um, troops, thousands of U.S. troops, in Afghanistan until Jesus returns. That would have been the only way to avoid this Taliban resurgence and takeover um, in in Afghanistan. So that's obviously not a long-term national interest. Uh, thus, we got out. The um, one clip I want to play um, is this is a this is Mark Miley. This is a top general in the U.S. military, top advisor to President Biden, on uh, bragging about the Afghan military forces. We'll, we'll wait till after the break to play this. But Mark Miley, just like a couple weeks ago, was bragging about how how great the Afghan military was how they were going to hold up to the Taliban. They've got this under control. We've equipped them with all these weapons. It's going to be no problem. I also saw a study that showed, this was this was an article published like two weeks ago, and it said uh, U.S. officials uh, see Taliban retaking Afghanistan several months from now. Well, here we are two weeks later. Taliban is running the entire country of Afghanistan. We'll be back in a few minutes. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Chicago police officer Ella French and her partner pulled over a car for expired plates. One of the two suspects exited the vehicle with a drink in one hand and a cell phone in the other. He refused repeated instructions to put those items down. He then pulled a .22 caliber handgun from his waistband and fired several shots, hitting and killing 29-year-old officer French with a single shot to the head and hitting her partner in the shoulder and right eye. Note to all you defund the police quacks. There's no such thing as a routine traffic stop. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for the Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. At the end of a hard day, most of us just want to vent. By expressing our frustrations, we feel a sense of cathartic relief. Although your daughter doesn't have any daunting tales of rude co-workers or flat tires on the side of the road, she definitely has moments of disappointment to share. Allowing her to vent to you shows your daughter that you are a safe space, a person in whom she can confide. Instead of simply asking, how was your day? Consider asking, what was the most frustrating part of your day today? Be ready to listen and validate her feelings. Galatians instructs believers to share one another's burdens. Allowing your daughter to vent alleviates some emotional weight and serves as an important bedrock of trust in your relationship. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. Learn more about empowering girls at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Hi, I'm Will Addison, and on behalf of American Family Association, we would like to invite married couples to participate in this month's By Design Challenge. It's simple but profound. Go to afa.net slash bydesign and sign a petition that expresses your commitment to your God-given marital covenant. While there, you will see a PDF file that will allow you to print out a covenant document for you to sign and date as a symbol of the promise you made before God to your spouse. Marriage was created by God for His glory. No wonder the enemy fights so hard to destroy it because he hates anything God creates. Go to afa.net slash by design to be encouraged and reminded that our marriage is God's marriage and it's worth fighting for. One man, one woman, for life. For life. To participate in this month's challenge, visit afa.net slash by design. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core here on American Family Radio. Continuing our discussion about what's going on in the Middle East, what's going on in Afghanistan. <clears throat> I don't, <clears throat> this is my opinion. I'm a commentator, so I'm going to com- I'm gonna comment on what my view of this, I think we needed to get out of Afghanistan. I think our time was done there. We had really no vested interest there anymore of, of national security value. You can, you can make the national security argument to invade and stay anywhere in the world if you use the right argument. But the, our time was done there. The American people are ready for their troops to come home. We're done over there. And <clears throat> so getting out is a good thing. It was the right decision. Now, you can get into the way we left. You know, you can argue about that and how it was sloppy and how it allowed the Taliban to take over in a matter of a couple of days. But getting out of Afghanistan, make no mistake, is the right decision. Um, and so anybody on the TV telling you that we need to go back, we should have never left. We needed thousands more troops in Afghanistan uh, so we can run their police departments and run their, their military. Uh, that's that's idiotic. That is not smart. Um, it is it is not smart to nation build. Um, but you're going to hear people Monday morning quarterback and say we need, we need to go back in. We should have never left. That's just not true. The, the consensus has been for years now that we need to get out. Um, so that's what uh, the military did. 
uh, despite the warnings from the intelligence agencies on the Taliban resurgence here. Um, there's a couple things I want to point out. The White House, they're actually some of the only ones uh, owning up to the reality of the situation we're in. Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, went on ABC the Good Morning America this morning. Here's his quote. The president did not think it was inevitable that the Taliban were going to take control of Afghanistan. He thought the Afghan National Security Forces could step up and fight because we spent 20 years, tens of billions of dollars, training them, giving them the best equipment, giving, giving them support of U.S. forces for 20 years. He goes on to say, when push came to shove, they decided not to step up and fight for their country. He goes on to say, put in the middle of another country's civil war when their own army won't fight to defend them. And his answer to that question, talking about the president, President Biden, was no. And that's why he stands by his decision. There's actually a lot of truth there. That was a, we were in a lose-lose situation over there. And the Afghan National Army, which we spent billions training, and we spent over $2 trillion overall in the war, um, even their own army, they just laid down their guns to the Taliban in a matter of days. It was actually something I have, at least I've never seen in my lifetime, the, the, the uh, speed at which the Afghan National Army surrendered. Absolutely embarrassing. Um, I want to play clip three here. This is, now, uh, this is uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken talking about what I just said, the reality that there was no really good way out of Afghanistan. Clip three, let's listen. Because we inherited a deadline uh, negotiated by the previous administration. That deadline was May 1st. And the idea that uh, we could have maintained the status quo beyond May 1st if the president had decided to stay, uh, I think, is, uh, is a fiction. Here's what is likely to have happened had, we had the president decided to do that. During the, during the time from when the agreement was reached to May 1st, uh, the Taliban had stopped attacking our forces, stopped attacking NATO forces. It had not sought to take over the country, the entire country, by going at these major provincial capitals. Come May 2nd, if the president had decided uh, to stay, uh, all gloves would have been off. We would have been back at war uh, with the Taliban, attacking our forces. The offensive you've seen throughout the country almost certainly uh, would have proceeded. Uh, we would have had about 2,500 forces in country uh, with air power. That would not have been sufficient to deal with the situation. And I would be on your show right now explaining why we were sending tens of thousands of forces back into Afghanistan to restart a war that we need to end. I actually don't know how Blinken is right there. I'm sorry, how Blinken is wrong there, except for he tries to blame Trump. Yeah, let's blame the previous administration. This is what they all do. Blame the past administration. No, you're the one in charge. You fix it. No, you take responsibility. You're the one in the White House. You take responsibility. This whole blame game is absolutely absurd, and we do it all the time as a country. But everything else Blinken said there, I couldn't disagree with. He said if we if we reneged on our agreement with the Taliban, number one, why are we why are we negotiating with the Taliban? But first off, if if he said if we stayed, then the Taliban would start attacking us again. If we leave, then they take over all of Afghanistan. So what do you do? You get out, and it's a disaster, absolutely unmitigated disaster. But the um, there's one thing concerning about this amongst many, but one of the most concerning thing is the weapons that the Taliban now have control over. These are U.S. manufactured weapons. You know, there's all the talk about, well, back in, uh, this goes back 20, this goes back 30 plus years, but 
you know, there's a whole talk about the CIA and how they gave arms to the Taliban to fight the Russians, and you get all into all that history, which I don't know enough about to talk about. But there's been talk about U.S. supplying arms to terrorists at times. and But this is a case where it's clear the Taliban taking over um, Afghanistan, they've got – they now have access, control over all of these – Military machines, all these weapons, all these uh, aircraft. And so let's listen to uh, retired General Anthony Tata talking about all of the weapons that now the Taliban is in charge of. Clip four. This failure is epic proportions. Biden has armed the Taliban. The Taliban now has, I want to say, about the 30th or 40th largest air force in the world because they've got Blackhawks, <laughs> they've got MiGs, they've got Hines, they've got drones. And it's not so much they're using it, though that concerns me, but it, it's the intelligence exploitation that will happen with Iran and China as they sell it, and even Pakistan. Well, there you have it. Uh, he says it's not as much of concern of the Taliban using it because they don't have the proper training to use much of this equipment, uh, but it's more about who they're going to sell the equipment to for intelligence purposes. And China's already touting that they're going to recognize the Taliban as the official government of Afghanistan, um, so there's some some vested interest uh, there. But the clip I wanted to play um, uh, is from General Milley talking about the Afghan forces and how they're going to be able to ha- uh, handle the Taliban. Uh, this is all stuff that was was spoken not that long ago. We're talking in the last few weeks and the last few months about the status of the Afghan military and how they're going to be able to keep all things together in Afghanistan. Let's listen to clip five. The Afghan security forces have the capacity to sufficiently fight and defend their country. And we will continue to support the Afghan security forces where necessary in accordance with the guidance from the president and the secretary of defense. The future of Afghanistan is squarely in the hands of the Afghan people. And there are a range of possible outcomes in Afghanistan. And I want to emphasize repeatedly, and I've said this before, a negative outcome, a Taliban automatic military takeover, is not a foregone conclusion. We will continue to monitor the situation closely and make adjustments as necessary. Well, uh, General Milley was too busy uh, talking about white rage before Congress. He was too busy talking about how white rage is what's wrong with America about how Trump supporters are the greatest national security threat to our country. Um, that's what our generals were doing while the Taliban was just waiting to pounce on Afghanistan, Afghanistan, an absolute embarrassment. Um, the numbers here, this is, this, what, what our country has done, what our leaders have done here, um, in some way uh, should be criminal. Listen to these numbers here. This is how much America has spent trying to nation build in the Middle East. This is Afghanistan specific. This is a report from Brown University. The nearly two-decade war in Afghanistan, and by the way, this was just published like a couple days ago. The nearly two-decade war in Afghanistan has cost the U.S. 2.26 trillion. So 2.26 trillion that's on the number of our national debt went to Afghanistan. 
According to a new analysis by Brown University, it goes on to say that the single greatest expense, $933 billion, or 41% of the war effort, total cost came in the Defense Department's overseas contingency operations spending, the report states. But listen to this. The second highest um, category in this total cost for the Afghan war, $530 billion went to pay interest on the money borrowed for the war. The interest cost totaling $530 billion from borrowing money to pay for the war make up the effort's second biggest expense. The $2.26 trillion dollars and we've we've built infrastructure throughout Afghanistan, roads, bridges, housing, uh, this massive U.S. embassy. I think we spent hundreds of millions on the U.S. embassy alone to beef up the security. Uh, we probably, I don't know, we probably built that whole airport there in Kabul uh, for military aircraft to come into there. And here we are, 20 years later, we're out, we're leaving, and um, Taliban runs it all. Uh, the there's videos out there online of the Taliban in the presidential palace um, using the gym of the what was the former Afghan president using his personal gym using all of their equipment. Um, it's absolutely astonishing. But the last thing I want to end on here, and then we'll move on, is the 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 narrative out there that's already building that because. Because the Taliban have taken over Afghanistan, that America is at more of a threat than we've ever been. That 9-11, that something like 9-11, it's coming back. It's inevitable because the terrorists have this safe haven in Afghanistan. That's, that's, let me just say this. That's idiotic. That's idiotic. America, and people that say this, these are smart people. These are not. These are not people that are dumb. These are smart people saying this. Republicans are saying it now on national television. There are bigger threats in this world than the Taliban and Afghanistan. We have China. We have Iran. We have North Korea. We have Russia. And the list goes on of threats to America. And I would argue that the Taliban is like towards the bottom of the list of the top 10 threats because of their capabilities. They, they don't have that many capabilities. And you talk about, well, that they can plot and plan terrorist attacks like 9-11 over there. Well, they can do that anywhere. They can do that in Iran, in the safe haven uh, terrorist state of Iran. They can do that now in Iran. They can do it in other places. Um, but this, is, this, is a, this, this further proves my point. We have a, a southern border in America that is wide open, quite literally. Anyone who wants in can cross into America through our southern border, and in many cases, they don't even get apprehended. And if you do get apprehended, you get released same day. As a matter of fact, we'll pay for your bus ticket or your flight into the mainland. Uh, that's what's going on on our southern border. This is a report from July on the southern border. Uh, Customs and Border Protection encountered 703 Russians illegally entering the U.S. just in the month of July. Um, you, can, you can also look at the numbers, hundreds coming from Middle East, 
Middle Eastern countries, coming from Iran, coming from Saudi Arabia, uh, coming from Egypt, coming from all kinds of other places, crossing our southern border. So, so this this hoax uh, that Afghanistan is 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 the biggest threat um, to the world is just doesn't hold up when you look at the facts. Uh, we've got we've got big issues here domestically that I would argue are a greater threat. Threat, and I saw a study, a report. Uh, just this past week of a TSA, our own Transportation Security Agency, and how many how many tests they fail when it comes to catching firearms and other weapons going into airports. And how they, half the time during these tests, thankfully they're tests and they're not the real thing, um, our own TSA can't even catch firearms going into airports. Uh, but we think the Taliban over there um, are the biggest threat to the world uh, in the last few decades, it absolutely doesn't hold up when you look at the facts. China, Russia, North Korea, the list goes on of the real threats uh, to American independence, to American sovereignty. Um, China, I would argue, being at the top of the list of the biggest threats um, in the world. Well, one other note, the um, the Taliban, they have a Twitter account. They're up and running. Uh, their press office is posting stuff. But our, our former commander-in-chief doesn't even have a Twitter account. He's been banned permanently, lifetime banned from Twitter. Uh, in the meantime, the, the, the Taliban, they're up and running. Uh, they're posting tweets, posting their propaganda on Jack Dorsey's platform. Absolutely astonishing. So according to Twitter and others, according to Facebook, Donald Trump is a bigger threat than the Taliban. That's according to their actions because he is still banned from these platforms. He can't talk, can't speak. Uh, but uh, the Taliban, on the other hand, and Iran and their leaders, all these terrorists, they've got a page. They're welcome on these platforms or on these publishing sites. Uh, but our own former commander-in-chief, elected by over 70 million people, uh, well, voted for this past time by over 75 million people, he can't have a platform. He can't have a voice. He shouldn't be able to speak uh, because our own Department of Homeland Security views Trump supporters and conservatives as the biggest threat to America. Absolutely astonishing what our leaders are doing to our country right now in Washington, D.C. AFA at the core, American Family Radio. I'm Walker Wildman. We'll be back in just a few minutes. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here's another of our core values. AFA believes that all men and women, whether in private or public, should be free to exercise their faith without hindrance from the government. Thank you for standing with AFA, and we thank you for your support. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies, very powerful. 
if it's a prodigal child that has just run away or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Miki. And we've been married 16 years. You know, one of the things that Miki asked me before we got married, she's like, why do you want to marry me? What is it about, about me? Really, the Lord had put on my heart that God was putting us together for destiny and for purpose, and that he had a ministry that he desired to do through us, that, you know, we were both ministering on our own, but together that God was going to, you know, use us to minister. There is no one who is closer to you than your spouse, and there is no one who knows you better, and this is by God's design. Marriage is the first institution that God has given us to to shape us and to mold us and to show us ourselves. It's a beautiful picture. Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, author and seminar speaker with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, can you use ordinary things as a witness for creation? You certainly can, Chris. In fact, you can use an automobile or an airplane or a radio station or most design systems to witness to the design in creation. If a radio station needs a designer, then certainly things much more complicated, like life, need a designer. If you know anything about geology, you can use the road cuts through mountains to witness the Noah's Flood. You can see the strata, obviously laid down by moving water, and point out that these strata typically go for miles in every direction, maybe thousands of miles, speaking eloquently of widespread deposition due to water action. Yes, indeed, Chris. Creation and the flood are clearly seen from evidence all around us, and we can use them to witness to that back to Genesis truth. To learn more about creation, get our free DVD called That's a Fact. Call us at 800-628-7640 and mention the promo code FACT. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core here on American Family Radio Network. Y'all been hearing me jab for the last 20 minutes on Afghanistan, so I'm done with that. You know my view of it, my opinion of it. Um, the... Uh, uh, one thing, a couple things I want to mention, The we have a great resource out. I teased it a few weeks ago, but we actually have it available now for you to order. And that is a biblical response to critical race theory with Miki Addison, a co-host of Airing the Addisons, which you'll hear actually after my show today. Airing the Addisons, well, the co-host there, Miki Addison, our good friend Miki Addison, uh, did this two-part session, two-part series on a biblical response to critical race theory. And uh, I have it here with me in studio if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook. And by the way, we're live streaming on AFR's Facebook page and on the AFA at the Core YouTube channel. Uh, But this is an excellent resource, excellent DVD. You can uh, show it to your family as educational. You can uh, take it to Sunday school, take it to your church, have a previewing. Uh, Excellent resource here from our resource center, resources.afa. .net. A couple of things you'll learn about in this DVD, uh, the origins and beliefs of critical race theory, uh, the dangers of submitting to the beliefs of critical race theory, 
And lastly, how Christians should respond to uh, CRT inside and outside the church walls. So that's what you'll learn uh, here in this uh, Cultural Institute series, A Biblical Response to Critical Race Theory. That's available for ordering right now as we speak at resources.afa.net. So go there and order that from our resource center. We'll also post a link to that on our podcast page at afr.net later this afternoon. Uh, Something else we're working on that I'm very, very proud of is our, uh, our, our By Design project that you've heard my brother and I talk about here on the show each week. Well, our By Design project, we have a couple of different parts of it that uh, could be of value to you. At least I hope that is they're of value to you. We have a podcast each each um, Saturday here on American Family Radio. We have a By Design podcast, a By Design radio show. One man, one woman for life is our theme that you can hear on the network. Not only do we have the podcast, but we also have short videos, uh, encouragement videos, there on our website, afa.net forward slash by design. We have articles on marriage and family there at our website, at our by design page, afa.net forward slash by design. So we just got a lot of resources, but the last thing I'll mention that we have there is our August challenge. Each month we're going to be challenging couples uh, with something to help build and strengthen their marriage in Christ. Well, this, this month, August we have a marriage covenant that we are encouraging you to assign with your spouse. And the marriage covenant is pulled out of Ephesians 5. Uh, some of it is also pulled out of Matthew chapter 19. So a very good biblically-based marriage covenant that we're encouraging you to sign with your spouse. Read it, understand it, talk about it with your spouse. Because uh, we need strong marriages in this country. We need strong marriages in this country. I said to somebody yesterday, um, I can't control what goes on in Afghanistan, but I can control what goes on in my own home. Um, So that's when I encourage us to stay focused. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, We can't get so swept up. It's okay to talk about. I I cover all these news and events on my show. Uh, So it's fine to to know what's going on, know current events, know what's going on around the world. Um, But we don't need to let these these stories, these events, and and these these narratives from far, far away – uh, consume all of our energy and our thought uh, to where we're we're not being effective in our own home. We've got to stay focused on discipleship making in our own home. Uh, we can't lose sight of that, can't get distracted, uh, because Satan wants to come to, he comes actually to steal, kill, and destroy, and he wants us to be distracted, and we can't do it. We've got to stay focused on what God has called us to do. And so look, uh, check out the By Design Marriage Covenant for the month of August by going to afa.net forward slash by design. There was a clip, a couple of clips I want to play before we wrap up the show. Um, Governor DeSantis was on um, with Tucker Carlson last week, and, you know, he was talking about what he views as uh, one of the biggest threats to freedom in America, and he's talking about these various uh, COVID restrictions Let's go ahead and listen to clip two. This is Governor Ron DeSantis. They're also saying they don't care what your doctor's recommendation is. So when the smoke clears from all of this stuff at some point, how are they going to defend abortion? It's no longer your body, your choice. It's no longer between you and your doctor. They've kind of given up the two pillars of their medical policy, haven't they? They are basically saying that we are all just subservient 
to uh, medical authoritarianism. Whatever they think needs to be done, we have to submit to it. Probably, Tucker, the most significant threat to freedom in my lifetime, certainly since the fall of the Berlin Wall, because taken to this illogical conclusion, you end up with Australia, where they're forcing lockdowns at the point of bayonet. They've come a long way in their ideology. Well, Governor DeSantis is not exaggerating. If you look in Australia right now, they got the military, armed military, patrolling the streets of Sydney and other parts of Australia in the name of COVID restrictions, in the name of public health. And that's why I, I chuckle a little bit when, when the talking heads and the, and the politicians say that the Taliban is the greatest threat to national security from thousands of miles away when here we have, and by the way, they extend that and say it's the greatest threat to freedom. Well, what about our own politicians and government officials that are ignoring the rule of law, ignoring the Constitution in the name of public health? I think that's important. I think that's an immediate threat to freedom and to our Constitution here in America. So once again, don't lose focus. Governor DeSantis says that uh, this is these restrictions that we're seeing in the name of public health is the most significant threat to freedom in my lifetime. And by the way, you know, the, 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 the cases of COVID are going up in uh, many parts of the country, certain parts of the country. I know they're up here pretty significantly here in Mississippi. Um, but one of the other issues that our hospital systems are facing is the, is the nursing shortage, is a staffing shortage. And that's really not getting talked about. You know, we're talking about how many, uh, how few beds we have, how we don't have enough space, how we don't have enough capacity. A part of it is the number of sheer people who need treatment, but also another, at least half of the problem is that we don't have enough nurses and, and, and staff members to work these hospitals. I mean, you've got some hospitals that are operating at 50% capacity when you look at the number of beds uh, that they have the, the room for in the hospital system, but they don't have enough workers to work those beds. Uh, so thus we got a shortage of capacity at many hospitals, at least around the state of Mississippi. And um, if you thought nurses weren't appreciated enough, that they weren't uh, having uh, enough morale boosters uh, treating uh, COVID patients and having uh, not enough uh, co-workers to help them offset uh, the burden and the workload, well, here we are as a country uh, in many places about to start forcing nurses to get these experimental shots. And many nurses, are, you know, this is, you look at, at the people groups, at the, at, the, uh, at the groups that are the most hesitant to get the shot, well, many of them are nurses that don't want to get the experimental shot. And here we are in many places uh, forcing nurses to get the experimental COVID shot or be fired. So we have a, a severe nursing shortage in many parts of the country. And now we're about to start firing more of them because they won't get an experimental shot. And one nurse uh, went on the record talking about this. And so we're going to play about two minutes of her testimony at the Henry Ford Medical System in Oakland County, Michigan. This is a nurse that is, uh, her first name is Katie. Clip one, let's listen. 
Hi, my name is Katie and I've been an Oakland County resident for 35 years. I'm in my 11th year of nursing and have worked for Henry Ford since 2014. I'm an educator on a general practice unit where we do care for COVID patients, most of which are fully vaccinated. The threat from my employer all started in March of 2020 when I, like many others, received an email stating that I was deployed inpatient to help during the pandemic and to care for COVID patients. If I did not accept, I would be suspended for three days, offered the same assignment, and if I refused, I would be fired. I was deployed for three months and received no COVID pay while caring for COVID patients. We did run out of PPE, received one surgical mask per week, and even had to wear trash bags as gowns at one point. In June of 2021, I received an email from Henry Ford threatening termination of employment, this time for noncompliance with their COVID vaccine mandate by September 10th. The hospital offered COVID listening sessions for staff to ask questions. I attended and I did ask questions respectfully. Shortly after, I was greeted by the chief nursing officer and administration stating they noticed I was at the sessions and that I seemed distressed. They said I needed to take a week off of work to think. I was told that as a leader, it is not my job to question policy. This was followed up with an email from the CNO stating I would be off work for the week and I needed to report to her upon my return. When I did return, I was pulled aside for a meeting with the CNO, HR, and leadership in the middle of my 12-hour shift with a six-patient assignment and a nursing student. I was warned that I could have been fired for my questions at the listening session. I was warned that as a leader, I must get on board with what the system is doing. I was told not to answer any further questions regarding the COVID vaccine. I was offered help finding another job and told that if I disagree with this mandate, I should be respectful to leadership and administration and resign my position. Since then, I've been pulled aside almost every ship by management and asked, do you have questions about the mandate or your termination? How do you feel about me posting your position? It's constant harassment. All managers have been sent a list of employees on their unit who have not been vaccinated. These staff are now being pulled aside one by one and questioned. They are being pressured, coerced, and intimidated into receiving the vaccine. They are being told they won't be able to find other jobs in healthcare, and those in school are being told they must comply in order to receive future education. We have now been branded anti-vaxxers and have a scarlet letter on our chest. I ask you, what happened to HIPAA? Well, there you have it. That is Katie, a nurse at the Henry Ford Medical System in Oakland County, Michigan, and she wasn't exaggerating about the scarlet letter on her chest on her uh, nursing gown uh, that's what the nurses who don't have the shot have to wear to work so that they can be visibly visibly identified as not having taken the shot um, but you know this this is this is uh, in certain cases this is self-inflicted we have a nursing problem. We have a nursing shortage in America in certain parts of the country. And we think the solution to that is to force all the nurses who don't want to get the shot to get the shot or be fired, which further worsens the nursing shortage that we're already facing as a country. You know, Bobby, many of these nurses, I've talked to some of them, they're exhausted. Uh, they've been going at, at this for 18 months, taking care of COVID patients. And uh, the last thing they want to do is to be fired or to be punished because they don't want to get the experimental shot. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think something else that gets lost in the argument is, uh, to your point, you know so many nurses, I know so many nurses. We've had uh, uh, back in Virginia a number of friends uh, who had young daughters that just became RNs in the last couple of years. And what did they step right into? covid well, again, they're young. They're just out of college. They're just out of nursing school, getting their RNs and so forth. 
they're of childbearing age. And this is yes. an experimental drug. Yes. And and to what detriment in their capability of, of having children? Yeah, and to, and and that's that goes exactly to the point we talked about last week where they don't have any long-term studies uh, that show that this is a safe and effective shot, mm. uh, especially for women who are either pregnant or want to become pregnant in the future. We just don't have that research, don't have those studies available. Yeah, it's a huge dilemma for our country right now, and and indeed worldwide. Sure. Worldwide. Yeah, absolutely. So um, two things we can take away from there. We don't need to be uh, bullying and punishing nurses who don't want to get the shot. Um, because they need to be appreciated. They need to be thanked. Uh, they need to be let, uh, let them know how much we appreciate their work and their efforts uh, across the country. So uh, thank a nurse. Maybe if you see a nurse, make sure you thank them for the hard work they put in. Amen. And um, the, the other study I saw was, it was a study of, of which groups of educational classes are hesitant to get the experimental shot. <laughs> surprisingly, but kind of not surprisingly, the top group that were the most shot hesitant, it's not a vaccine, we can't call it a vaccine because it's not behaving like a vaccine, but the shot, um, uh, the group that was most hesitant to get the shot was actually PhDs. I saw this report where PhDs are the most hesitant educational group uh, that don't want to get the shot, at least not right now, until more studies are done, more research is done, and it is definitively proven over the course of years safe and effective. Uh, the whole safe and effective argument um, is really not relying on a whole lot of data, considering this shot has only been on the market for public consumption for the last eight months. Uh, here in the U.S. So we need more studies, more research, so that we can truly, in the years to come, hopefully say that the shot is actually safe and effective. AFA at the core, I'm Walker Wildman. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.